Tell me in the book of Matthew, chapter, we're going to be in chapter 5, like where we've been for five other weeks, and I want to talk to you about the incredible power of a godly life, the incredible power of a godly life. Stand up with me if you would. Listen to these few words from Matthew that Jesus shares, and he tells us that uh, this sixth beatitude, he says, blessed, happy, to be congratulated, are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You want to see him? He tells you another path here of living a life that's pleasing to him. So I want you to join me there uh, today, and let's have prayer. Father, teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that we would just really hear your heartbeat today. Help us to understand what it means to be pure in heart and help us to move there. And help us tonight, today, Father, that if we're compartmentalizing some of our life, that we'll give all that over to you to rule and to reign in all of it and not keep some areas to ourselves and some areas that are just our private, small sins in our mind. Lord, call us to a place of real purity in our walk and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Oh. Oh. In the book of Jeremiah, the Bible tells us what our problem is. Here's what it says. It tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then we have somebody like the apostle Paul that comes from the New Testament and tells us this. He said, the things that I desire, and I want you to think about who Paul was. Paul's the leader of the early church. The things that I desire to do, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do, well, that's the very things I do. Paul tells us that he has moments, even though God's Spirit lives in him, he has moments of inconsistency. I think that that's true in all of our lives. I can tell you, I get like seven, eight areas out of ten in my life together, and then it's like something drops out and the bottom falls through in this one area. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that, but I sure can relate to that. I, I am 58 years young. I've been walking with Jesus now uh, for about 43 years, and most of that time I've tried to seek him with my whole heart. And I'm telling you, there's times that I I just drop the ball. I'm inconsistent. And if you don't believe me, ask Emma. She knows. She lives with me. If you don't believe her, ask the staff. They know me well enough to know that I have moments of inconsistency, like anybody. I want to tell you a story. It's kind of a comical story, but it involves uh, Alfred Nobel. And in 1888, he got up one morning. Now, he had, he had gathered a considerable wealth, uh, one of the richest men on the planet in that day. But he got up. He's going to have his coffee and his biscuit. That will kind of tell you where, he's, where he was. Uh, and he is having his coffee and biscuit, and he's going to read the newspaper. And he starts reading the newspaper, looks at the obituaries, and lo and behold, He reads his own obituary. No joke, it's in the paper, for real. What had happened is his brother had died. So he had an added interest to look at the obits that day. 
his brother had died and they had got it wrong. Have you ever noticed on a lot of these TV shows that somebody famous dies and immediately, immediately, there's a show on about them? Have you noticed that? You know why? Because they've prepared it in advance. Isn't that something that people are out there preparing in advance when you're going to die? Writing things about you. Well, the famous anyway. They are having that done. You know why? Because 100% 100% of people die. Did you know that? 100% of people die. It's coming. And so they have this ready so they can quickly get that on the air and have that show about somebody. Well, they did that with obituaries even back in the 1888 in Europe. They did it. They did it here in the States where they would have these famous obits and things about them prepared already. So they were ready to go. Here's what his obituary said, and it blew him away. They called him the doctor of death. He had invented dynamite. He had made his wealth out of uh, explosive devices, primarily dynamite, but he had sold this, had, uh, uh, had rights to this for so long that when it wrote in the obituary, it said he was a man of warfare, not of peace, that he was a, somebody that had brought such horrendous destruction to the world with his inventions. The doctor of death. Wow. He read that, realizing that would have been his obituary that day if he had died instead of his brother. It blew him away. He said, I am not going to have this be what I leave as a legacy and a testimony about my life. And he started doing a lot of good things with the wealth that God had given to him. And today we know about the ultimate peace prize. And what is it called? The Nobel Peace Prize, the most famous peace recognition in our culture, is named after him because he changed the way he conducted his life. I want you to look with me at the word today because one of these days somebody's going to write your obituary. Somebody like me will stand and and give testimony of your life at a funeral service. Um, this past week, we had uh, uh, Regina uh, pass, have her dad pass on, and she and Don Smarto, right here on our staff, uh, went to Chicago and had a service. And uh, I know more about uh, her dad from Don Smarto than I do from, from Regina. But in my discussions with both of them, Every time they brought me to the discussion about he knew Christ, he lived for Christ, he was a leader in the church, he was a deacon in the church, he, he was the chairman of deacons at uh, a Bible church there in Ohio for years, or in uh, Chicago, and it just went on and on and on, the things about him. And I just thought, how neat that a daughter and a son-in-law that are right here in our church can testify of his faithfulness to God all those years, and what a churchman he was for Christ. That's just a neat testimony, isn't it? Um, one day that story's coming for you. What's going to be said? When your life's said and done and this life is over, they're going to paint your picture. And what's going to be in that picture? You should really think about that. 
You're going to leave something behind. There's going to be a testimony. There's going to be a summation of your life. And it's important that that's done in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and one that you would be proud to be associated with. Amen? I want you to look at some things here. We'd look at this sixth beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Every now and then you hear somebody say, they were so pure in heart. But it's kind of an old, te- old, old term, and you don't hear it a lot these days. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, if you take the word that is the base word of integrity, integar, it's a math term. And for those of you who are in that community, and I am not, all right, so I speak as an a, a, a extreme novice, uh, just studying a little bit about this, so I can even speak about it today. But if you remember, the base of integrity is that word, and it means the whole, the whole number. Not, not part, not a fraction, but the whole. Integrity is a very interesting term, isn't it? Because it has everything to do with you being what you say you are, representing that. Integrity comes across that way. There are people in Scripture, we read in the Bible that Noah was a man of integrity, that Abraham was, that David was a man of integrity, Moses was a man of integrity, Paul was a man of integrity, but not any of these people are perfect. And you can go to the list of women that are in the Bible, same thing. They may have been godly, but they weren't perfect. Integrity doesn't mean perfection. Pure in heart doesn't mean perfection. The Bible tells us, Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 8 of, of Matthew 5, he says these words. He says, or not Matthew 5, 48, I'm sorry. He says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Anybody in here attain that? We got any perfect people? You don't need to be listening to me because I am an imperfect pastor preaching an imperfect message today to a bunch of folks that are sinners saved by the grace of God. If you're perfect, get up and go. I don't think you'll probably do it under these circumstances, but hey, if you're there, you're, you're not like the rest of us. Listen, there's only been one perfect one. Only one could match the standard of God and go by the standard of perfection, and that was Jesus Christ. And here's a bombshell for you. You will not be number two. You won't be. Can't go that way. You can't make it. You can't be good enough. It's the way it is. But God does care about you being a person of integrity. He cares about you being pure in heart. In fact, he promises that you will be happy, you will be living a life that's to be congratulated, that you will be blessed if you live a life pure in heart. If you live holy, godly, that's what we're talking about. Listen to this. He was a man, and David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says so, but obviously he sinned, right? We have record of that and what kind of sin he was involved in. So that's not what we're talking about. The first meaning of integrity is wholeness. See, in our culture, we kind of look at our life like a piece of pie, like like slices of a pie, like like all these different compartments are our life. This whole pie is our life. And like I said, many times we may have seven areas, eight areas of our life really together. Sometimes because it's hard for us to get our life together in those other areas, we just give up and we compartmentalize our faith, don't we? I, I have really watched this change in the church since I have been in the ministry all these years. I've watched this become 
a bigger and bigger problem where people will really have their life together in many areas, but then they just let these others go because they just either want to hang on to those pet sins or they just have had multiple defeats there and they just get tired of the battle and they give in. It's important for us to remember that God's called us to practice the whole. Integrity has to do with the whole. Integration, you may remember, or integration, it's the, the concept of bringing together, integrating everything, all and segregation is the opposite of that, isn't it? It's compartmentalizing and separating. We are called to be people of integrity and to uphold that standard. It's so important we realize that. Second, integrity also means authenticity. Authenticity. Can you be sincerely wrong? That was a question. Yes, you can. Paul is a wonderful example of somebody when he was Saul, he was persecuting the Jews. And we read about his story in the scripture. He thought he was honoring God, thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting Christians. He thought it was a sect that needed to be done away with. And he encountered Jesus Christ himself. And what happened to him? He realized that he was wrong. He was sincere as sincere can be, but he was wrong. I hear people today and they say, well, you know, so-and-so, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they knock on doors and Mormons and, and uh, you know, whether they're from, they're in Islam or, and, you know, maybe there's just one path, there's like multiple paths that come up to the same God. And, you know, they just seem so sincere. Sincerity is not a qualifier of true faith it's not but God does expect us to be sincere to him doesn't he you see we need to understand there's just one way Jesus there is to not believe that makes you something other than Christian smiling at you it makes you something other than a Christian if you believe there's other ways to be a Christ follower believes you echo what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through him. He's it. He's the path. To name the name of Christ over your life, you believe that. You believe John 1, verse 12, that God has given us the power to become his, uh, his children, right? and that uh, we can become sons and daughters of God. Authenticity is important, but we need to understand that uh, you can be sincerely wrong, but we are to be sincere to the truth, and the truth is Christ. One of the things that's killing me, I mean, church, it's killing me. Young people, listen to me, it's killing me. I keep hearing people talk about my truth, your truth. And I just want to go, not happening. There is absolute truth. That's it. There's not other truth, my truth, your truth. That's all subjective, isn't it? That's, I get to pick and choose, and this is so popular in our culture. And even during the, the Senate hearing and all that, you kept hearing people talk about lawyers saying, well, their truth. If your truth is opposing 
the truth that is absolute truth, the truth of God, it's not true. You may like it. You may feel comfortable there. But it's not truth. There is singular truth when it comes to absolute truth. You follow me? It's really important that we get this because our cultures keep talking about your truth, my truth. It's kind of an excuse of kind of not having something that is singular, that is absolute truth. Well, God says his word is absolute truth, isn't it? And what it says is true. What it doesn't say is not true, right? What it tells us is not true, it's, that's the truth. You follow me? You got me? Young people, you really need to get this because, man, I'm telling you, I grew up in a confusing day. You're growing up in a crazy day. I mean, we're so far from biblical principles in our culture that somebody comes up with another term and there, here it goes, my truth, their truth. It's like giving this certain status to everybody's experience and then who's God in that scenario? The person that's deciding what is true, huh? For me. Absolute truth is absolute truth. I'm, I, I wasn't going to preach on that, but I was so tired of hearing it this past week. I just thought I'd throw that in. And, you know, if you go catch one of those, you know, if you, if you, if you go off the message and you catch a little truth over there, it's worth the trip. Amen? As long as we get back. Here we go. Second, integrity means, um, integrity means authenticity, doesn't it? Third of all, notice this. And in the Greek culture, you may remember... During the days of the, 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 uh, the Roman and then the development of the Greek gods, and I mean, you can go through a list of so many uh, of those thousands of years ago, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, and there were so many, that, many writers during that period, and uh, I don't know if you read it like I did. I had to read the Odyssey back in school and go through uh, reading that and some of that Greek uh, heritage, but what, what we don't remember is today we watch somebody on a television show or on a movie, they play usually just one actor, right? But back in that day, they would actually go off stage and come back and they would take their mask that they were playing of one character, they would take it off, put another mask on, and they may play five characters in one drama. It was a term in the Greek culture called Hippocrates. Wow. What does that sound like? Hippocrates. Hippocrates is what? It became our English word or our English translation of the word what? Hippocrite. The hypocrite. Do we have hypocrites in our culture in the church? Absolutely. Why? I always tell people, you know, they get upset. They say, you got hypocrites in your church. I know. I don't, I'm not going to come there. I'm like, man, I'd go to church with a few instead of going to hell with all of them. That's what I'd do. I just, that's what I would do. I'd, listen, put up with a few hypocrites at church. They exist, yes. Sometimes it could even be me. Sometimes it could be you, huh? Smile at me, Right? It's true, isn't it? It can't be us at times. But listen to this. We need to not be actors and actresses. We need to be real for God, don't we? And be true. Third of all, it means that you will have a godly focus. That you will have a godly focus. 
you will be godly in your focus. And the Bible talks about that on multiple stages, but I want to talk to you from the book of 1 Peter and really drive that home. I'm going to talk about what it looks like to live a life in, of integrity, one that is pure in heart, one that is godly, one that is really living for the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to take the rest of my message, and I'm going to do this part very quickly. Check this out. You have got to walk right. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, all the way down to verse 14, he says, These are things you should walk in. This is attitudes, and this is the way you should conduct your life. How? It's going to be godly if you do so. And here's what he tells us. He says we are to leave some ways and adopt these new attitudes. One is, number one, live in harmony with one another. Verse 8, be sympathetic. Number two, love as brothers. Number three, number four, be compassionate and humble. Number five, you must seek peace and pursue it. Number six, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Then he talks about things that need to be taken away from your life. They need to be dropped. These are the things you walk away from, you put out of your life. He says, for whoever would love his life and see good days must. And then in verse 9 it says, these words do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, with blessing. Be a person that doesn't return an insult. I was telling about the first time, the very first day we were in Tucson, Arizona, and I had run an errand. We were, you know, moving in, all that stuff. And in fact, this week, we've been moving into our house, so uh, the one we, we bought. And uh, we uh, are about half done, maybe two-thirds. So it's feeling good, but not there yet, just, just almost. We're moving in gradually, making it doing it easy this time as easy as you can do a move move moving is is horrendous isn't it but uh i pull up at this stop stoplight in tucson and there are two lanes that turn well man we're loving the area and we're loving being there and all that and this is my first day there and i pull up and i think i ran and got food or something i don't remember what what i ran to do may have been to hook something uh, electricity or whatever but I remember I was two lanes turned to the left. And there was a guy in, in the pickup truck in the left lane, and I pulled up in the right lane. They both turned left. And I remember looking over at the guy in the truck, and because I saw him, I thought he's looking at me. And sure enough, when I looked over there, he's looking at me. And I went, hey! And he waved back. Only four of his fingers were missing. And I said, well, welcome to Tucson. You know, it's, it's wild out there in the car, isn't it? I know I talk about the car stuff a lot, but it, uh, it can be a little, little hectic out there. I think because we pull away, we don't think we ha we're going to be accountable for what we do in the car. And then there's that thing called road rage, right? But, I mean, the guy shot me the bird. I just waved at him. I didn't wave at him silly or funny or anything. I just went, hey. And he went, yeah. And I thought, well, hmm, that guy needs Jesus. That's why I'm here. I'm on assignment. Maybe he can be a prospect. I need to figure out who that is and minister to. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah. You just mind your business and somebody shoots you the bird or whatever. You've been there. If you haven't, young people, it's coming. Yeah, I don't mean to be gloom and doom, but it will happen. Because we have to deal with how we react to things. I remember um, 
just listen to this. He says, don't repay evil for evil or insult with insult. Remember I talked a week or two ago about how we have, God's given us a, a reactionary, it's, it's a protection mechanism in our nature, and we have to rise above that as a, as a Christian, a Christ follower, and not do what's done to us, but rise above and be loving and compassionate in the midst of that. Second of all, he says, take this, and he says, keep your tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. The Bible tells us what? That the tongue is full of deadly poison, that out of the same tongue can come blessings and cursings, right? Have you been there? It can, can it? Out of the same tongue. He said also that you need to turn from evil and do what? How do you know what's good? You've got to be a person of the word. You know that? To follow Christ, you've got to be a word person. And I'm talking about not just, you know, you go to a store and they have all kinds of words on signs and things you can put on your wall or on your desk. I'm talking about being a word of God person where you take in the word of God daily because you are learning what God expects. And that's how you can know what's good. Number four, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. As a Christian, I fear two things. I fear God and I fear Kemma in that order. Now, you know, Kemma's about half my size. But I have seen her get stirred up at me a few times and I thought, "Mm, whoa. You know, preachers and their wives sometimes have a a thing and, uh, you know, you know her as meek and mild Kemma. I know her as some other things at times where she can get a little stirred up. No, I just say that and I say that as a joke. We are called to fear who? One and one only. As Christians, and I remember a few years ago, Ofer Winfrey made a statement, and she said, I'm leaving Christianity. I just can't be a part of it anymore. You remember what she said? She said, the pastor was preaching, and I was amen in him, and everybody else was amen in him, and he said, God is a God of love, and amen, and God's a God of, of mercy, amen. And he said, God's a jealous God. And she said, well, wait a, wait a minute. Why would God need to be jealous? You know, in marriage, if you don't honor your covenant, jealousy could spring out of that, couldn't it, and be righteous? See, God made us, didn't he? And when God tells us, because, see, sometimes people will read this and they say, well, why would you fear God? God is love. God made you. And he wants reverence and he wants awe from you respect and that's what that means and sometimes people go well I don't like that about God well you can't pick and choose his character his character is what it is you allow him to be in your life you come in obedience to him and just like Ophrah decided she was leaving the church and she did she kind of created her own church started doing away with words and things she didn't like You can do that, especially if you have millions of dollars. But it doesn't make it right. You see, the church of Jesus Christ belongs to Jesus Christ. He bled, he died for it, and he is the one that is over us as the church. It's so important we understand that when God says, do not fear what they fear, what does the world fear? What do they fear? Throw it out there. They fear death, don't they? One of the things that brought me to Christ was my fear of 
death and the demonic, those things were fearful to me. I believed they were real. You can't believe that there's evil without believing there's good, right? They are there together. Led me to come to Christ when I was a teenager. Listen to this. What else do they fear? What does the world fear? What? Others? Yeah. God tells us to just fear the Lord. We can be really incarcerated by fearing someone, can't we? We really can. What else? Fearing the truth? Is that what somebody said? What else? Poverty? Yeah. That's, that could be a fearful thing, can't it? But see, here's what God calls upon us, and, and probably some of you are thinking about some things. You're like, I'm not speaking up in church. You're talking. You're preaching. Well, we're doing a little dialogue right now, okay? That's what I'm doing. We're talking to each other. Uh, and I know you're like, well, I'm not used to that, so that's fine. But you're thinking about something that may have been a fear of yours when you were not in Christ. And maybe you're here today and you're not in Christ yet. Today could be your day that you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Listen, we shouldn't fear those things anymore, right? Even if they drove us to Jesus, it's important. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If you look at verse 12 in this passage, for the eyes of the Lord are righteous and his ear attentive to their prayers. And he says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Second of all, you've got to talk right. It's not just a matter, as we said, of, of walking the way that we should. We've got to walk right. We've got to talk right. And you know, if you walk, if you walk right, the talk follows. Did you know that? The talk will follow. You know, how many of you, before you were a Christian, I've got both my hands up on this. I remember, I played football. I was a sports guy. I'm a teenager. I had a terrible problem cursing. I did. I have not cursed out loud. <laughs> and I'm being honest with you. In many, many years, I haven't cursed out loud. That I'm not going to tell you things have not come into my head. A thought has not come there, and I thought, mm, no, nope, you're not getting out of my mouth. I had met with a pastor one time, and I told him, he, was, he traveled with our football team when I was in high school, and I told him, I said, hey, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I, I, have, I, I want to ask you a question, pastor. I've been, you know, walking with the Lord now for several weeks, and I uh, just quit cursing. But how about words like shoot and darn? dang it. What about those kind of words? He said, well, what are you thinking of when you say them? I said, good point. You know what I did that night in the football game? This was before the game, before the meal, before we got on the bus. I had this big talk walking around with the pastor. I got hit. I was 15 years old. I was a sophomore in high school. I went up in the middle of the line against a team, and I still remember how big those boys were. And don't use your imagination. I was a little skinny guy, all right? You have to use your imagination to go with me on this. <laughs> I was a little skinny guy. Just wiry. I was a running back. I was, I, was just, I was one of those fast guys and skinny. So I go up into the line, and this linebacker hits me, and I mean it looked like Lawrence Taylor got a hold of me. He picks me up, 
and drives me backwards into the ground. And in that day, the ground could cause a fumble. And the ball spurts out. Next play, the coach, you know what he did with, to me? His little sophomore running back? Jude, come here. I go over to the sideline. I didn't even want to hang out with him. I just got way as far away as I could from him because I knew he's going to jump down my throat. The next play, they scored a touchdown. Next play. You think I felt responsible? Oh, did I feel responsible. And I had the, the backup quarterback beside me, and I said, Oh, And he looked at me and he said, Barry, you said, oh, I said, I did, didn't I? He said, I thought you told us you quit cussing. I looked to my other side. Guess who's standing beside me? Pastor Bob. I look and there's Pastor Bob who I told earlier today, I don't curse anymore. I'm arriving. Pastor Bob heard me say, oh. I never felt like such a hypocrite and an idiot. I was just 15 years old, but I sure felt bad. You know what? Pastor Bob said, come here put his arm around me, walked me back to the back of the team. He said, hey, it happens to the best of us. Shake it off. What you told me today, live that out. And I basically have. My wife heard me use the dirty word one other time when we were engaged and somebody said something awful to her and I did the man thing. And that's the last one I spoke out loud. I'm being honest with you. I said out loud. You know, we are sinful, fallen creatures and we have that come up. Now check this out. I want you to look at this. He says that we have to talk right. But in your hearts, he tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the reason of the hope that we have. So we should be ready to tell people about the faith that we have and how we came to Christ. And then listen to this. He says that we should speak with this proper attitude towards all people, whether it's in the church or outside. He says we are to do this with gentleness and respect and a clear conscience. You should do that with everybody. What happened to my conscience that day that I said that at the ball game? My conscience got, got, it, it got the best of me because I thought, oh, man. And then when I saw Brother Bob, I'm like, oh, man, did I do that right in front of him? We're to speak with a proper attitude. Look at this last thing. Let me ha handle it real quick. Have you, you have got to think right. Now, thinking right makes you talk right. It makes you act right because, listen, behavior and belief go together, don't they? They will influence the other. What you believe will influence what you behave. It really will. It's important to see that. Our attitude is to be like the one that Christ had, the same as what Jesus Christ had. The Bible tells us also in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, those words, 
But then he tells us in chapter 4, verse 8, these words, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Why? Because they're honorable. They're the things that are praiseworthy. They're harmless. Think about these things. That means you're going to have to watch what entertainment you take in. It means you're going to have to watch what you read. It means you're going to have to watch what you do when you do those things with, with uh, your, that part of your life. We ha- our life requires discipline in all areas, doesn't it? If not, you'll suffer the consequences of the lack of discipline in that area of your life. Check this out. Isaiah chapter 55 says this, verse 8 and 9. God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. But still he tells us, like he did in Leviticus, be holy, for I am holy. I am not going to be holy, completely holy. I'm not going to be perfect, like Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48. I'm not going to arrive at that in this lifetime, but my life should be about striving every day to be better and more Christ-like and more obedient every day. I'm going to stop right there because you know what? The Lord wants you to model that and follow the model of Jesus every day. It's not easy. It will require work. It will require discipline. And it will require more than anything on your part, a desire to be godly, to be pure in heart. It will be that you must desire that. Above everything, I want to be pleasing to God. God promises their blessings for people that will live that way. It's powerful living a godly life. It's powerful in prayer. As you heard the statement about Elijah, that he was, his, his prayers were powerful. It wasn't just his faith. He was a righteous man, and God honored and blessed that. If you're a righteous woman, God will honor and bless that. You will be powerful in your life. And there will be cool things said about you when you leave this life. But better than that, you'll be pleasing to the Lord and you'll make an impact.